0: welcome this is lisa where we go inside addiction to raise your level of consciousness welcome laura to the lisa podcast where we go inside addiction to raise our audience's level of consciousness now i just wondered if you could start us off by just giving us your definition of addiction and telling us a bit about your journey
1: sure so this isn't my definition of addiction, but uh, and I don't know exactly where it comes from, but it's the one that makes the most sense to me, which says that addiction is anything that uh, you do despite negative consequences, continue to do despite negative consequences. That is so. It's simple and and true, true to my experience. Uh, my story is I drank somewhat problematically at the beginning, and then very problematically, probably for most of the time I was drinking, which is about 15 years. I started when I was a late teenager, and I got sober about the time I was, uh, let's see, 37. Uh, So almost 20 years, actually. And I, you know, my primary thing was alcohol. Uh, I also did dabble in drugs, but alcohol was the thing that really got me And I, yeah, have a pretty typical story in that I surrounded myself with, I grew up around drinking, I surrounded myself with people who drank like I did. Uh, I didn't really ever consider that uh, drinking would be a thing, like, that I would have to quit one day, right? I thought drinking was just part of being an adult. And that it made a better life, it made a more exciting life, it made connections easier, it made me you a know, better, more fun person to be around, uh, all those things, right? And it, over time, as it does, got increasingly uh, more difficult for me to manage. And really, about the time I got uh, married and then had my daughter, who's 11 now, That's when drinking started to really change for me. And I started to just have less control around it. Uh I I always say when I had my daughter, I kind of noticed that it stopped working like I wanted it to work. Uh it so I would drink more. Um and it just, you know, I was start I was had to be responsible for more things. I Uh, I just started to and I started to become a little bit more secretive about it. I didn't really Want to show how much I was drinking. I always wanted more Um, And on the outside though, it looked pretty okay, you know, unless you were really close to me It was really hard to tell that something was wrong and yet over time. I accumulated a lot of consequences. I uh, Came close to losing jobs Um, actually did lose one job I had some you know horrible blackouts and tons of things that I didn't remember. Um, I physically I was not doing great. I got a duI uh, and then ultimately, what got me into started on sobriety was that I left my daughter in a hotel room one night overnight when she was four years old at a wedding uh, because I was blackout drunk and that really forced me to look at what was going on. Um, so that was in 2013. I finally got sober in 2014. Uh, I've been sober now for just over six years and everything in my life has changed. You know, now I, I used to work in marketing and advertising, very boozy culture. And, uh, over the course of my sobriety, I completely switched careers. I'm now an author and a teacher and, uh, yeah, I mean, I I, re, I got divorced. I'm in a new relationship, and you know, it's it was. I'm summing up a lot of a story into something short, but it was uh, the hardest thing I'd ever gone through, and and I thought it was the worst thing that could ever happen, right? Um, for sure, to have to get sober, and it you know, it's been the biggest blessing in my life.
0: Yeah, and like you said at the beginning it was kind of manageable and when you first had your daughter that's when he noticed it stopped working and what do you feel like that or how would you describe the experience of it working before and it not working after what was that difference like
1: yeah um i mean i it's not i want to be clear that that's not the only time that i noticed that my relationship with alcohol is not right i i was Kind of aware that I didn't that I liked it a little too much, you know, and I couldn't really stop once I started. It was never there was never enough, but when when it was working, um, I would get some relief, right? Like there would be a moment, uh, a, a period of time where I would feel my nerves sort of settle, um, my racing thoughts would quiet, um, I would. I would get that relief. And when I had my daughter, I noticed it just made me more anxious. Like I would get maybe a tiny window of relief, but it was a tiny window. Um, I didn't feel that relief. It would take, it would sometimes take more for me to feel the effects or I would not drink as much and I would black out. Like I just, it stopped being as predictable what would happen to me once I started drinking. My hormones were all over all over the place. Um, there were consequences, too, for me drinking. You know, I couldn't just drink and say fuck it and not care about what was going on. I had a daughter to take care of. So there was also a level of consciousness or awareness that I had once I had her that I didn't have before, and that gnawed at me, right? Um, so, yeah, it was all those things.
0: Yeah, and like you said, that awareness of your daughter and just being aware of kind of the bigger picture. But like you said, there were still consequences. And what were some of those consequences? You mentioned difficulty in jobs and stuff like that. What did those consequences look like? And I guess how did, you know, those justifications around those uh, consequences, what did they look like? And how did that whole process work?
1: Yeah, all so many justifications. Uh, there were outer consequences and a lot of inner consequences. So the outer consequences were, um, you know, my I wasn't that great of a friend. I wasn't a great partner um, in that I, I couldn't really keep my word uh, because I couldn't be trusted to show up when I was going to want to show up. I was often too hungover. I just, you know, would get carried away drinking and not be responsible enough to show up for people. Um, I had you know financial messes because i my money felt out of, everything felt out of control, you know on the outside um my money it, well, certainly on the inside, but it manifested on the outside too my money, my relationships, my work I wasn't you know i i would I was definitely not performing at work the way I should have been um calling it sick a lot. So there were consequences like that. And over time, you know, those build up to a really stressful existence because you're constantly trying to clean up messes. You're constantly trying to cover up the lies that you told, trying to save your, save your ass. and um, so, so those are some of the outer consequences. And, of course, DUI. And, um, and then the inner consequences were just this horrific shame that I felt all the time. Um, I was so not in integrity with myself, I, what I would tell people and the way I felt were very different things. I didn't think that I could be honest about what was going on with me. Um, And so when we, when we don't, when we aren't integrated, uh, it's really painful. It's, it's a painful existence, right? When our thoughts and our feelings and our actions don't match, it's really hard. We don't want to look at ourselves in the mirror. You know, we become people that we don't know, certainly don't like. And also, you know, a real feeling of helplessness because I didn't really know where to start. And the idea of giving up drinking, when it would cross my mind, was just... It was just a terrifying idea. I didn't know how to do life without it. So I was in this sort of double bind of being stuck by my own, you know, know, caught in this addiction and um, feeling and and the alcohol making things worse, but then also feeling like I, I couldn't really stop.
0: Yeah. And like you say, being stuck in that, sort of yeah shame and guilt and just not really kind of knowing how to get unstuck and how to get out of it you've obviously got you know alcohol in your life which is relieving some distress but then it's not really working and it's just building up and those sort of negative feelings and consequences just escalating and Mm -hmm. what were some of those kind of limiting beliefs that held you back from sort of pushing through to to a sober life
1: yeah um well i I also want to say one of the main inner consequences before I answer your question is I knew I wasn't living up to my potential too, and that's a really painful thing you know that that isn't just a, i say like your unused potential is not benign, it's something that has a really dark force, a dark energy that takes over you know and it comes out of suppression and bitterness and resentment um but the, what you asked was, what did you ask? I just oh, lost it.
0: Yeah, about the limiting oh, beliefs. Oh, yeah, limiting beliefs. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Thank you. Um,
1: limiting beliefs. Oh, man. Uh, I won't be, I'll be boring without alcohol. No one will love me if I am not drinking. Who wants to, you know, I won't be fun. Um, life won't be exciting, I won't be exciting. Um, Yeah, I mean, those are really big, big limiting beliefs.
0: Yeah, and like you say, those big limiting beliefs that sort of block us and keep us kind of stuck. And then also you mentioned that kind of incongruence of not being able to fulfil your potential. And that is like a really dark force where you say we know... We can do so much more, but we just start at this kind of glass ceiling and we're not able to sort of break through. And then we've got these limiting beliefs that are sort of holding us back. And when you have a look back at, you know, kind of being in that cycle and that kind of addiction of going round and round, is there any other parts of it that really come to mind? Oh.
1: You know, I think it's that I really, I I think that there's so many things, but I think where I really just got stuck and went around and around is that I really just didn't know how, I didn't know how to feel anything, feel my feelings. I didn't know how to face the past and the sort of wreckage I've created and I really just, I just didn't think that I could cope. I didn't think life would be really worth living if I couldn't drink. That was this, the story that I kept rubbing up against. That this is, It's just not going to be worth living. I won't, I'll, ha- I'll hate life if I'm sober.
0: Yeah. And like you say, that kind of wake of destruction that we cause, as we, you know, go through that cycle of all of the things that kind of go wrong and, like I say, the broken promises, the missed things that we don't turn up or the days we called in sick at work, all of those things kind of build up and then we go so far down the rabbit hole, it's like, how do I deal with all of this stuff and take responsibility for it all? And then also, like I say, who will I be on the other side? How will I even deal with all of this stuff without drinking my life? And it's very hard to make sense of that um, and understand kind of how that process works is very kind of not tangible. It's very hard to kind of quantify in a sense. It's not necessarily like an easy um, sort of physical thing. It's quite metaphysical in a sense. Um, And Mm -hmm. when you think about your life and sort of breaking through that glass ceiling, what were some of the shifts that happened for you?
1: Yeah, you really can't imagine it because you've never lived it. So it requires a certain amount of faith. Some of the breakthroughs. uh, I had a friendship that turned into a relationship early on, uh, and because one of my really significant beliefs was that no one would love me, you know, I wouldn't. I was divorced at the time, and I thought, how am I going to date anyone? How am I going to ever be in a relationship who will want me? And this man really loved the sober version of me, you know, and he really championed that and he believed in that and he wanted that. And that was a really foundational, important relationship to experience because I hadn't had that before. And it's not, I I don't, you know, it's not that people didn't love the sober version of me, but um, certainly people, certain people did, but I, I hadn't been that person yet. So to to be that sort of messy, you know, early, sober version of myself and have someone really like see what I couldn't see in myself yet was really tremendous. And then, um, you know, one of the things is like, because I tried for over a year, like start and stop, you know, I would put together a little period of time, I, mean, I would drink again, put but over the course of that year and a half, I spent a lot more time sober than, than I did not and i started to realize like how much brain capacity i had for work when i wasn't drinking it was like astounding you know i got promoted i i could function i was so effective i was more present with people it like that was one of those immediate returns that just came back so fast as i was killing it at work that was something um and then uh, the the biggest thing I would say for me was I had always had this desire or this dream or, it, you know, this, this, uh, I call it like big energy inside of me that I I wanted to write and I wanted to do like, I wanted to be, I didn't want to do the career I was doing. I wanted, I had, I didn't know what it was exactly, but I, I knew I had potential for something big inside me. And when I And I always wanted to write, I knew that for sure. And once I started to go through this, um, even before I was sober, I started writing about it and started putting that writing out there, publishing that writing. And it felt, I was really tapping into that potential inside of me. That was, that I couldn't access when I was drinking. And I knew that that was the case. I knew as long as that was in my life, I started to taste what that felt like to really be in my element and to like pursue this thing that was so intrinsic to who I am and to create. Right. Um, There was no room for creation when I was drinking. It was just destruction. Um, I started to see what that was like. And that was a huge breakthrough. Like I wanted that. You know, and I knew
0: that 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 wouldn't happen so long as I kept drinking. Yeah. And I think one thing you mentioned is you felt more creative and your creativity came out when you stopped drinking. And I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. that I speak to um, often say, oh, I need to drink or use drugs to be creative. And I think oftentimes in my experience, it's been the other way around. It's actually like dulled my ability to do things and my potential. It's just kind of like a myth or a mirage that we think it kind of helps with that creativity.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there is some truth to uh, at least, you know, people have been doing psychedelics and such for a really long time because they they can help you sort of bypass the the inhibitions and barriers that you have to the the consciousness that sort of gets in the way, the self-consciousness rather, that gets in the way of accessing certain parts of your psyche. But it's really, like, it's not sustainable and it's really short-lived. I think people think they are better writers when they're drinking because it like lowers your inhibitions. You don't think so much. You know you're not, your brain's not doing that monkey mind thing so much so you can like drop into these you know more romantic feelings and your dopamine goes up and all that and it, and it lasts for about 20 minutes right and then it then you deteriorate so it is ultimately a myth but i also get where it comes from yeah
0: know? yeah no exactly there's um, a reason
1: that we do that we start drinking there's a reason that people start doing drugs because they're it does provide relief it does change our state and that's what we're looking for but it never carries us to where we think it's going to carry us
0: yeah and like you say it never carries us to where we think we need to we need to be and that is um, a better solution that both of us have kind of discovered which we'll get onto a bit later but in terms of that kind of Like stumbling along the path, you mentioned like a year when you were kind of trying to get sober, and you were having a glimpse into that future possibility, that future self that fulfilled your potential, that did well at work, that turned up on time, that had focus, that could have a relationship Mm -hmm. being sober and felt loved being sober. And how did that kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, sort of stumbling along the path work for you? And how did it kind of gradually happen? In, happen as opposed to just kind of one day everything's fixed.
1: <laughs> right. Um, well, after that incident with my daughter, I walked into to an AA meeting. I didn't know really what else to do. I I just knew that sober people went to AA or people who wanted to get sober went to AA and I knew two people in the world that were actually sober and that's what they both told me to do and I was really you know I'm really grateful for that I went started going to those meetings I mostly hated it but sometimes I liked it and then I grew to understand you know to know a few people and I really appreciated it and, um so I, I did that I, I I went to AA meetings for a good, and I still have a sponsor. I don't go to meetings really anymore, but I went, you know, that was my start. Um, it was the first time I'd heard people talk about the things that I was feeling. And, um, the first time I was able to share, you know, what, what had been inside of me for so long. So that was really meaningful. Um, and I also didn't quite feel like that was my home, you know. Like I was seeking, I was seeking some, some other um, avenues too, I guess. Uh, one of those was like this creativity piece. I started writing more, uh, I, and and it became clearer and clearer over time that, like I said, the writing and the drinking could not coexist. Really if I really wanted to pursue this dream, I ha- the drinking had to go. I would never get there so that was a motivating factor over time and then there's a learning factor too right like i mean one one piece is the physical addiction like when i that first time i quit i was still really physically addicted and 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 i that was horrible you know so there's physical addiction that i had to really get through um and, and lumped into the physical addiction i would say is like our our neurological sort of addiction of all the pathways that we have laid down, the tracks that we've laid down, that uh, our conditioning—you know—in any stress, stressful time, even fun time, all the activities that we associate with drinking—I would, I would say—that's still a physical response, right? I mean, it's partly psychological, but partly physical. Depends on how you look at it, I suppose. But that is a real thing that need to be changed. It needed to be rewritten every time the day. Every time five o'clock came around during the day, my brain would go, "Okay, it's time." You know, every time that I would come home after work, "Okay, it's time." Every time I'd go out to dinner, "Okay, it's time." You know, those things are all were all so programmed in my in my brain over the course of twenty years to get be associated with drinking that that had to be rewritten. And that certainly doesn't happen all at once. It's really extraordinarily and comfortable. You know, to go against that instinct because it's like you don't even think about it as someone who participates in drinking for that long. So there's that. Uh, and then there's the truly just like psychological, the limiting belief stuff that I had to work through with the relationship stuff, with uh um, with all the, the sort of emotional ties that I had to this idea of being able to drink, right? Being a person who was able to drink. And this, these, all these things, you know, changed over time. I, it would have been awesome if in a way, if it would have been a once and done, you know, sort of magical experience. And there are people that that happens to but I really value that year and a half. It was horrifically painful. I, I call it purgatory because I had one foot in, one foot out. I didn't. I knew I couldn't keep going. I didn't want to be sober. It was hell, uh, but it was really valuable because that really shaped me and really. I, I wouldn't really um, know in my heart of hearts that I can't drink in safety. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't be able to empathize with people who struggle, you know, after that first attempt. I wouldn't be able to do the work I do. I wouldn't have been forced to sort of reckon with the deepest parts of myself, you know. Um, So, it was, there isn't just one thing. It wasn't just one tipping point, right? It was like many, 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 many things contributed to it. It was reading about it. It was talking to people. It was experiencing the hell of drinking again, despite not wanting to. It was the million hangover that I had. It was the crushing anxiety. It was all of those things contributed to it. And then ultimately I, I, there was a moment when I, I realized like, okay, you're not physically addicted anymore. You're, you're actually choosing now. It's It's a small moment, but you're choosing You're saying like, screw it right now. You know, I, I'm choosing to drink and it was, um, sort of being really honest about every aspect of my life. I was still keeping a little group of people that didn't know what I was doing. I was still putting myself in situations where I might drink, you know, and it was really getting clear about if I'm, if I'm going to do this, I have to stop uh, lying to myself basically about what is going to, to put me in those situations.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a really important distinction, like you say, there's oftentimes and for me too a point where something kind of not so good happens like with your daughter you're like right i need to change but it doesn't mean that you then change overnight or it then becomes any easier like you said you still have those neural pathways and that physical dependence and all that stuff going on so although you've had that shift and you then want to change you still have to kind of do the work and it's completely OK to, yes, yeah, sort or of stumble along that journey and keep mm-hmm. going over and over and learning and picking up all those different pieces as you go. But one thing you mentioned earlier as well is faith. And I just wondered how you would kind of define the faith and how, yeah, that kind of faith in the future of who you could be helped overcome those limited beliefs and helped you get on that other side in a sense. Yeah, um, I mean,
1: faith. It was, you know, a, a belief that there was a future that was possible possible for me that I couldn't see yet. Um, and sometimes that vision was held up by other women who were sober that could see that had been there and could see what in me what I couldn't see yet. Um, and there was also. Oh, an element of faith or belief that I wasn't this horrible story that I'd been telling myself because anyone who's gone through this knows that a really a very real aspect a real fear of getting sober is that you're not you're gonna have to face everything that you were hiding from. It's not just the the pain that maybe caused you to check out in the first place or caused you to numb but all the accumulated distraction. Over time, and that's a really daunting task, right? Uh, So there is an element of faith required to believe that one, you you can and you will be able to do that, and that two, you aren't just a summary of all those mistakes and moments of destruction. There's a beautiful divine. Indestructible part of you that exists and that that that's true too
0: yeah, and like you say understanding that's true too, and having those role models and people who are ahead of you on the journey who you can look up to and also being able to believe in yourself like you say there's a version of me in the future that understands it and even if I don't even know how I'm going to understand it in the future I believe that it's possible I believe that I can get there and yeah, yeah that I can become that person even if it doesn't make sense right now and I guess mm-hmm. that's exactly what faith is that belief in something we can't see yes
1: that's right I'm just writing
0: a note so I don't want to forget some case. <laughs> oh, awesome and in terms of as you started to enter recovery you mentioned AA and writing i just wondered if there was anything else that comes to mind that kind of helped or anything else you used along your journey
1: oh gosh so many things uh therapy throughout um i did a lot of and i still do a lot of work incorporating like the body uh like um, as a yoga teacher but i also um you know i'm a student of yoga and a lot of healing done through the body uh somatic experiencing and things like that uh, a lot of learning frankly like learning educating myself on addiction learning about other people's stories just reading a ton of psychology and spirituality and the human condition which i would always done and i always will do but I, I i did it with like a new sort of i had a new uh what would you call it uh, urgency about it and then putting myself in community with other sober people whether it was aA or or otherwise is a huge part of that like we don't do this alone I had I had tried to make my friends and my family understand what I was going through and that just didn't work and it wasn't helpful for them or for me is it we really do need other sober people or other people who are have experienced what we're experiencing. Um, and then, you know, a lot of practice, a lot of just patience and practice with learning new tools for coping with, uh, learning how to feel my feelings <laughs> and having help with that. Um, yeah, and yeah, a lot of patience. you know, we want to be better fast, we want everything to be better immediately, and so much of it takes time, and a lot of practice, and just learning a new way to live, so there's, there's so many pieces that I drew from, but I would say, you know, educating myself was a big one a program of some kind. I think whether it's AA, another program, or working with the therapist, like really committing to it and 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 sticking to that. And then um yeah and then the the patience and practice.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah and patience and practice is important but uh you know I found that being quite impulsive and wanting that instant gratification, that was certainly hard. But like you're saying, one thing we can take away from it is if we're being uh, patient and we're practising something, then it's generally a skill and it can be learned and it can be developed over time. We develop that sense of patience. We develop those skills around our mental health and building a solid mental foundation, whether that's with, you know, AI, NA, some kind of programme, therapy Mm. learning and having all of the information to upgrade our thinking all of those different things yoga and the body and thinking about how Mm. we feel and what's happening somatically all of those different things kind of create that holistic approach and it doesn't necessarily happen overnight like you say but i guess one good thing that i found about recovery is that just as our addiction compounds towards the negative in recovery all of these positive things we do compound compound towards the positive the more books i read the more therapy sessions i have the you know more meetings i go to it all builds on top of each other and it slowly starts to get easier and easier and easier and start to wade through all of that kind of yeah mental fog and build that solid mental foundation yeah 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 and when you think about where you are now and what it's like in the here and now being sober what's your life like now kind of as you've moved um yeah forward yeah
1: um I mean my life is honestly I feel so lucky and fortunate I I have done a lot of work and I'll always continue to but you know my relationships are infinitely better um some of the I still have some of the same friendships and a lot of ones sort of fell by the wayside the relationships that I do have are better more honest more meaningful um, My relationship with my daughter is wonderful uh, She's 11 now. She was five when I got sober so She's been and you know, she has a mom that she can trust and she knows she's safe with me is a really big big deal Um, my work is entirely different. I can't even imagine, I could not have imagined that I would be that this fulfilled in work. You know, I, was always like a person that liked to work and I was pretty good at it and in advertising and marketing, but I was never, I wouldn't say I was fulfilled, um, necessarily. And I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know that that was possible like it is today. Um. And then I have a a great relationship, you know, after a really long time of being single or dating for, um, you know, eight years, I have a relationship that's really wonderful. And, you know, all those things, those things, like, I don't want to make it sound like everything is perfect, because it's certainly not. um, But there's an inner peace and a trust with myself and, uh, yeah, a peace and a freedom that I have constantly, you know, that doesn't waver um, no matter what the, the circumstances are in my life. And that's what's really valuable, you know, I have a relationship with myself, with God that, um, that I can stand on.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the difference when we're kind of drinking or using drugs, we have drink or drugs to kind of turn to that we believe solves all our problems and it just ends up generally making things worse. But when we have kind of built that mental foundation, we have that kind of inner peace and calmness and resilience and the mental and cognitive ability and tools to deal with stuff that's going on in life. And in both examples um, and both sides of the coin, there's still all this stuff going on in life. Life happens. There's ups and downs and everything in between but it's just that shift in not changing necessarily the contents of what's happening, but changing the context and the lens that we see the world through. Right. Right. And yeah. Yeah. You spoke about changing your career. What was that like um, shifting your career and what's your career look like now?
1: Oh, That was such a wild, fun, crazy like transition. Um, I mean, I, I started doing what I do now or I started Doing other things, meaning writing. I started a podcast in 2015 called Home, um, I, which is, has ended in 2016. But it was incredible, an incredible experience. Um, I started, you know, creating, which is what I wanted to do, and and creating things uh, that were in the area that I really care about, which is psychology and addiction and um, personal development and stuff like that. Um, I started doing that for, I did it for almost two years before I finally left my job, so it wasn't a, you know, it was a slow process. Um, and what I do now is I am an author. My first book just came out in January. It's a memoir called We Are the Luckiest. And, um, you know, I have an, an agent and a Writing another book, it's like a whole world that I didn't, you know, that had nothing to do with the Laura's world of 2015 or whatever 14. Um, and I also run a company, I have a sobriety support community that I run called the Letheus Club. Um, that we have you know meetings and support community and classes. I also am the creator of several online classes. So I work for myself. Uh, I have a small team and I work wherever I want, which is one of the sort of what I imagined what I wanted my life to be like. I didn't know exactly what I would be doing specifically, but I knew that I wanted to be able to work from anywhere and I wanted space in my days. Um, And that I had a lot of room to create. And I, I'm mentioning that because I think a lot of times people are very interested in changing careers. So they think they're in the wrong job, but they don't know what else they would do. And I always tell them to like, focus on how you want to feel, focus on how you want your days to feel right. And that's a really good starting point because we, we don't know how I could have never scripted what my, what exactly I'm doing now. I just followed sort of the breadcrumbs. I follow the next breadcrumb and the next breadcrumb and the next breadcrumb and it leads to a place where, you know, where I am now. But none of us, I, I think this idea that you can have a plan, a real specific plan, is pretty much a lie. I don't think that it ever really works like that. I think you can have a, you can have a plan and you follow that plan, but then they, you, know, you gain you information and that changes. Um, so I think that's a much more doable approach for people. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's what it looks like today. I, I, you know, I I, read those things and I'm writing another book.
0: Yeah, that sounds amazing. And like you say, it's good for the audience and people to focus on, you know, how do they want to feel, what kind of personality attributes do they want rather than thinking, you know, oh, I want this job or that job or this amount of money in the bank account or to live in this house. Don't think about mm-hmm. the kind of materialistic things. Think, who do you want to be? How do you want to feel? What you I say? That sense of freedom to be able to work when you want, wherever you want in the world is amazing. That ability to be able to, you know, spend time with your daughter and just to do your own thing. Those feelings of freedom are more important right. than the specific job or the specific amount of money in the bank account, for example. Um, so I think, well, you just can't start from that
1: standpoint. I mean, I love money and money is important too. It's not that you should, you, you can't, want that but yeah my, i didn't make in that first few years i didn't make anywhere what i you know was making in my career as in marketing and advertising so to say it needs to be this or i'm not going to make the jump that's usually a non-starter yeah
0: yeah and like you say it can still be on the priority list just not you know kind of at the top few things and focus on the personality first right yeah awesome and you mentioned uh your book that just uh came out in January. I just wondered if you could tell us a bit about that and yeah, some of the things that are in it,
1: yeah, so the book is uh it's a memoir of my experience with addiction, but mostly with what getting sober was like. I really wanted to talk to to write about that versus the addiction story, which are all almost the same, you know, um and I think the getting sober part is a really fascinating part, like what was that actually like? Um, so I talk a lot about, you know, what I went through in those first set purgatory year and a half and that for those first couple of years, um, you know, the shame of being a mother who drank, um, how I overcame that, um, how I overcame or sort of worked through the, uh getting honest, how, you know, learning to tell tell the truth is a big thing. Um, how I worked with this idea that no one would love me and sort of my relationships with men, which were really painful and a, a big part of really tied into drinking. Um, yeah. And then there's, there's also some practical stuff in there. You know, it's not just, narrative memoir there's some practical stuff for people that that are early in sobriety
0: yeah and like you say those practical things as well as being able to for people to see and have a frame of reference of how to manage the shame of you know being a mother who drinks how to work through those things and like you say, there's a lot of stories almost out there about what it's like to be in addiction but it's good to focus on what it was like to get sober to go through that process um, and, yeah, to paint that picture, which is really good. Yeah, thank you. And then you also mentioned the Lucky Club. I wondered if you could tell us a bit about the Lucky Club and where people can find that and how they can join and, yeah, what it's like to be in the Lucky Club. Sure.
1: It's called the Luckiest Club. Yeah. Um, and I actually started in the pandemic. I started hosting free sobriety meetings, support meetings for people who couldn't go to meetings anymore. But then it turned into I saw really clearly that there was a big need there and I was going to just stop it because it was, um, it was a lot of work to do. And I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a team or anything. And I and I realized like, oh, this this could be really wonderful for people. And it was honestly helping me so much. So it's we have 17 meetings a week. At various times, at least two meetings each day, um, led by my team. There's sobriety support meetings so people can come and hear others talk about, you know, their experiences, but also share. There's a forum, a member forum, where they can connect and uh, have community. And then there's a part of the program uh, called the academy where we have master classes on things like sleep and love addiction and the enneagram and um things like that but also a coaching call with me once a month uh and it's evolving you know it's still pretty new we were thousands strong at this point which is awesome but um we're continuing to develop cool things and ways to support the best part about it is uh, we we support all paths to recovery. So it's not AA specific. It's not any program specific. All people are welcome.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So it sounds like you're doing some amazing things. Um, and where's the best people to, uh, where's the best place for people to find out more about you or get your book or join the luckiest club? Uh, where's the best place for them yeah. to go? Yeah.
1: My book is anywhere books are sold. So it's on Amazon. Um, and in the US, I don't I think you can also buy it uh I think you can buy it in the UK on Amazon. Um, but it's definitely on Audible uh and it's on Kindle too. And then um the second question. Oh, they can find me. Uh my website is my name Laura, McAllen.com, Um and I'm on Instagram, that's sort of my favorite social media platform. Uh yeah. And all the information about
0: the Luckiest Club is on my website. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I'll link it all down below, um, all the links to all your amazing stuff. And was there anything you wanted to kind of leave our audience with or anything else on your mind? No, this is great. Thank you. Okay, awesome. Yeah, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, you too.